Welcome to yet another edition of Bagoon's Barrage, the State of New England podcast with me, your host as always, Jake Donnelly, a.k.a. The Bagoon. Well, we've got a great show for you. We'll actually wrap things up with a movie review of Logan. That's the new X-Men movie in case you've been living in a cave in Mars with your fingers in your ears over the last decade, decade and a half. That's how we'll wrap things up. Yo, we will so talk about the New England Patriots. We will get to the Bruins as well. We always seem to hit the guys that we love most. But to say that I am happy with what has transpired since the last time I left you fine, folks, uh, that is a drastic understatement. I am over the moon in terms of happy in what has transpired since I last left you. But it is not the what that is really getting all sorts of giddy. It is the how. And to delve into the first how of why I am happy, we have to go to the Celtics beating the Warriors in Golden State for the second season in a row. The Warriors now in the last two seasons have lost just six games to the people not named the Boston Celtics. Six losses in toto to the rest of the NBA in Golden State. The Celtics, they're 2-0 and at Oracle Arena. Whatever it is about the Celtics, they match up well with the Golden State Warriors. Now, the Celtics, they don't match up well when it comes to the Toronto Raptors. They do not match up well when it comes to the Washington Wizards but they do match up well with the Cleveland Cavaliers, the top seed in the East, and the Golden State Warriors, the top seed in the West. How they beat the Warriors, though, is why I am so happy. The Celtics had a two-point deficit at the start of the fourth quarter after playing pretty good three quarters, after playing the first three quarters in an exceedingly good fashion. They came out in the fourth quarter and ratcheted up absolutely everything. And I do not think it was a coincidence at all that Steph Curry hit a three in the eye of Jalen Brown, who was playing pretty good defense, but Curry had a terrific up fake, got him to jump up in the air. He went by like a little bird. And Steph knocked it down. It didn't look like Jalen Brown was really saying anything to Steph. But then immediately after knocking down the three, he turns and he gives the little talking, talking, starts pointing at Jalen Brown. Now, at the time, I saw that and I was on Twitter, as I always am, during the games. And I just went on one of my, their staples. I went on a Twitter rant going, you just look like an idiot. You were down one point before this shot. Good, good for you. You hit a buzzer beater. You hit a buzzer beater, it seems like, every single game. It should be commonplace for you, and yet it's not. You have to go out of your way because you are so shook in that point in time that you have to jaw with a rookie who it really did not look like he was jawing at you. So you went out of your way to jaw with Jalen Brown. Yeah, he's the number three pick overall, number three pick in the NBA draft last season. But you went out of your way to jaw at him. I'm not a big trash talker, never was. It it might come as a complete surprise to some of you people, but I was never a trash talker. I didn't like talking 
when I was playing. I was taught growing up that you let your actions on the court, on the diamond, on the field, do your talking for you. Now, I would talk in general because it's almost impossible for me to shut up. But in terms of trash talking, that's not something that I ever did. My younger brother, who boy, was he a trash talker. But me? No. I never had that. Because honestly, I just didn't get it. I always knew that I was going to get the job done. If you put me up with the bases loaded in the ninth inning, I was going to get a bases clearing double. Yeah, humble brag. I do not give a damn I was going to make the play. I knew it mentally. I didn't feel like I had to tell everybody. But it seems like, especially in the NBA, that everybody wants to kind of jaw, and that's fun. I love the fact that guys are really starting to butt heads over the last two seasons. Teams, players, they're not as friendly as they used to be. That's awesome. But when it comes to trash talking, if you trash talk, you better back it up. And you would figure that a guy like Steph Curry would you know, open his yap and go at a rookie and that he'd back it up. But what did he back it up with against the Celtics? Mm, He and Klay Thompson scored all of one point in the fourth quarter, and Curry didn't score a single point. He knocks down that three to end the third quarter and gets nothing the rest of the way. The Celtics had a 15-0 run in the fourth quarter, Curry had a couple of turnovers. Isaiah Thomas had a couple of steals. This was the Celtics defense that I was telling everybody about at the trade deadline. Oh, you know, no, we need to get a big. Yes, the big I still think would be important. (laughs) They still might get Larry Sanders, of all people. But if you needed to get a swing guy, if you needed a three or a four or two, and you had to lose Marcus Smart or you had to lose... Avery Bradley, or heaven forbid, Jalen Brown, you don't do it. And the reason why is exactly what you saw against the Golden State Warriors. This team, when they want to play defense, can blitz you. They can make your life a living hell. And the quotation after the game from Isaiah Thomas when they mentioned and asked him about the Steph Curry talking trash, he said, no, I don't see him pointing at Marcus Smart. I don't see him pointing at Avery Bradley. And that is the case in point. Yeah, pun intended. If you talk trash, you better be able to back it up. And in this case, Steph Curry, one of the best players in the NBA over the last three seasons, he talked trash and he got smacked right in the face. Now, from my personal standpoint, I hate that stuff because I just think you look like a preening idiot. And you look like even more so of a numbskull when you go on and don't score any points over the next 12 minutes and your team gets run out of your own building against a team that you have historically a problem against. This is not a team you play well. You did not play well in this game, but yet you decided to look at me, everybody. I knocked down the three, a buzzer beater. I do this all the time, but I still want to tell everybody about it. You know who used to knock down buzzer beaters all the time? Larry Bird. You want to know who is almost universally pointed as the best trash talker of all time in the NBA? That is Larry Bird. But what Larry Bird used to do when it, ca- uh, when it came to the buzzer beaters is that he knew that shot was going in. So if you look at the replays of Bird hitting the buzzer beaters, there's no reaction. He knows those are going to go in. He is so confident. He is so sure that that shot 
at the buzzer, no matter what the difficulty. He is so sure that it is going in, it's commonplace. He doesn't care. It's just another shot to him. But Steph Curry, if you're really that good, then it should be commonplace to you. You should not go on and on about hitting a three at the end of the third quarter. Woo, the third quarter, good for you. You're up by two, a full two-point basket? Good for you. That's just fantastic. Because what happens? Because now you look like a just an idiot. You don't score any points the rest of the game. Your team gets run roughshod out of your own building. And who is the guy after the game who can deliver the best quote, the best jab? That's Jalen Brown. Because what did he say about the Steph Curry trash talking? Oh, yeah, uh, I didn't say anything. It's cute. <laughs> Verbatim, Jalen Brown called Steph Curry's trash talk cute. That is so wonderfully understated and so insulting. Like, that's good trash talk. What Larry Bird used to do. Uh, I think it was Brad Doherty. He said he was trying to guard Larry Bird uh, at the three-point line. And Bird went, boom, up fake. Does this sound familiar? Up fake. And Doherty goes by. And as Doherty goes by him, Larry Bird goes, fly, Bird. <laughs> and then knocks it down in his face. He doesn't make a big point to do it, but it's these subtle little jabs. And those, that's the best type of trash talk. The trash talk where it's only you that knows about the trash talk. And if you want to be a legend, and Steph Curry, hey, you've won all of one NBA championship. You'll go down as a guy that has hit more three-pointers than anybody else in NBA history until the next guy comes along and hits more threes in NBA history. But how many three-point uh, three shooting contests have you won at the All-Star game, at the All-Star weekend? How many NBA championships have you won? Right now, your hardware, it lacks. For a guy that talks as much smack as you do, for a guy that is as good as you are, from three also passing and finishing at the rim, for as much as you are, the top level of NBA talent. When it comes to talking trash, and apparently when it comes to backing it up, you're not all that good. I mean, heck, the thing that most people remember about you right now is that you guys, the Warriors, were up 3-1 in the NBA Finals. No team in NBA history, as I go to my broadcasting voice, no team in NBA history had ever lost a series in the NBA Finals after being up three games to one. Now, that's not the case because the Warriors lost to the Cavaliers. Again, this is now, I think, two out of three in terms of podcasting where I'm taking something and making LeBron James and the Cavaliers out to be the good guys because somebody on the Warriors is acting like a fool. First, it was Draymond Green talking about the New York Knicks and Madison uh, Square Garden going with the first half acoustic night. And now it's Steph Curry talking trash to a rookie for a buzzer-beating three at the end of the third quarter to go up a monstrous two points over the Celtics and then not scoring a single point the rest of the, ga uh, the, rest of the game. So, yeah, good job, Steph. Way to really back up that trash talk. All right, so the Celtics, obviously, the 
bigger point in the game is that the Celtics won. Everybody was healthy for a change, and the second unit came up. Kelly Olynyk was fantastic. 7 of 9 from the floor. He scored 17 points. Every single awkward drive that he had, he finished either with a bucket or a really good pass. Aggressive Kelly Olynyk is the best type of Kelly Olynyk. And what's even more amazing is that this came uh, two weeks. We had not seen aggressive Kelly for a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, for some reason, in the hardest place to play in the NBA, aggressive Kelly comes out. Al Horford was fantastic. Marcus Smart went one for nine. He still got the job done. All of these guys for uh, Jonas Jerebko. No mask on Jonas Jerebko. It's a different player. He's like the opposite Batman. Without the mask, Jonas Jerebko is a superhero for the second unit for the Celtics. You put the mask on, mere mortal. He's just a mortal. But you take that mask off, superhero. Celtics, every single person contributed in that game. It was great. Isaiah Thomas was fantastic. And after the game, he heaped praise on every single person on the squad, including, and not surprisingly, Jay Crowder, who knocked down two massive threes in the fourth quarter. Uh, The Celtics had the ball at one point for 68 straight seconds because of multiple offensive rebounds. Yeah, you heard me, Celtics offensive rebounds. Al Horford came down. He chased one out of bounds, kept it in play. This was a Celtics team that played their best 48 minutes of the season, and they did not play a good first five minutes. They did not take a shot for the first two and a half minutes, and yet it was their defense that kept them in. If the Celtics can play defense the way that they did against the Warriors, which is something they are more than capable of doing. This is a Celtics team that can shock a lot of people. So we'll just keep it at that. The Celtics, they rebound after an awful loss to Phoenix, a horrendous loss to the Clippers. And I I went into that game going, you know, I feel real confident about the Celtics taking on the Warriors because this is the type of game where they really put it together. And what did they do? They put it together. So we go from a Celtics team that was floundering heading into their toughest matchup to a Bruins team that floundered in their most previous matchup against the Ottawa Senators where they were their most inconsistent under new head coach Bruce Cassidy. But instead of playing the instead of playing uh, the, let's just call it like the New York Rangers, one of the best teams in the NHL, uh, they played the Detroit Red Wings, who are a tire uh, fire right now. They are not playing well. They are selling everybody. Their streak is going to go by the wayside. The Bruins streak of um, uh, most consecutive years reaching the playoffs will stay intact, and then it's. I think it's going to be like another 16 years before anybody even has a chance. But the Bruins and that streak, which was uh, 28 years, I believe, uh, will remain intact. But the Bruins, they go and they played the Detroit Red Wings. Now, in the previous game against the Ottawa Senators, the Bruins in the first five minutes of the game found themselves down 2 nothing. They tried valiantly to come back. It wasn't their best performance. They did not get a single point, losing three two, make that 4-2. There was an empty netter, but losing 4-2 in regulation. So they go and they play the Red Wings, and the Red Wings, that was the cure as the Bruins went up 3-0 in the first seven minutes of play. And David Krejci, the second-line center, the man who has been known for 
the last almost decade with the Bruins as the best passing center, the best playmaker on the Bruins. Oh, man, did he show up against the Red Wings. He scored two goals. He had another assist. And right now, with the way that David Krejci is playing, it's like the Celtics. I'm telling you, right now, both of these teams, the Bruins and the Celtics, are putting together the type of play. And this is what I like. Some nights you lose. Some nights you run into a brick wall like Henrik Lundqvist and the Bruins 2-1 loss against the Rangers. Some nights you just have bad puck luck. The way that the Bruins are playing, that's scary. You've got Tuka Rask, who, when he is on, can be the best goalie in the world. Right now, he is on, and you are getting phenomenal play from Anton Hudobin. The Bruins' backup goalie has now won three games in a row. The starter, Tuka Rask, he's gone back and forth, but he's still played well. The defense is doing their thing. Chara is all of a sudden helping out offensively ever since Bruce Cassidy took over. This defense is playing so well, not just offensively, which is a huge surprise, but they, while getting it done on the offensive end, have also kept it together defensively. This is a team that right now is playing in all three zones. Defense neutral, offensive zone. Tuka Rask, Anton Hudobin, they're getting it done between the pipes. Brad Marchand, he had two more goals. You can't stop Brad Marchand right now. He has more goals than anybody else in the last 26 games in the NHL season. He's unstoppable. Brad Marchand, the little rat. I'm not calling him the little ball of hate. The little ball of hate is Pat Verbeek. I just so angry. When I hear people call Marchand the little ball of hate. No, you cannot recycle nicknames, especially when it's something like little ball of hate. That is a nickname you can remember. That is a nickname that belongs to one person, and that nickname belongs to Pat Verbeek, not Brad Marchand. You want to call him a rat? You want to call him the nose face killer? Yeah, all about it. Those are good nicknames. Don't recycle little ball of hate. But the other thing with Marshan, as I was just mentioning, he's playing so well. And it's not just him. It's Patrice Bergeron. It's David Pasternak. It is everybody. It is David Krejci. It is Peter Solark. It is David Backus. It is Drew Stafford. Zidane Char, Brandon Carlo. Colin Miller. Kevin Miller. Even Adam McQuaid is getting the job done, folks. Okay? This is a fun team to watch. And that is also something that I think many Bruins fans have been waiting for for well, <laughs> almost a decade. Well, no, not a decade. Since 2013. This Bruins club has not been fun to watch since that 2013 season. The last couple of years, they've been getting points. They can get some wins. But it just wasn't fun to watch. Now, it's fun. And they're still tough. They're still mean. They're still laying the wood. But they're also scoring. This is a well-rounded hockey team. And this is a well-coached hockey team. And they've got that great combination of veteran presence and young guys. Ryan Spooner, Frank Vetrano, although Spooner is out with a concussion. And it's not his fault. He took an elbow to the head. I'd like to see you take an elbow to the head and keep on skating. But this is a fun team. So the Bruins, they're doing great. The Celtics, they stopped their mini slide and... Hopefully, they'll do great later tonight as they play at, uh, I think it's a 9 o'clock start, if I remember correctly. 
yeah, it's 9 o'clock against the Denver Nuggets. So that's a weird start time, but that'll be fun to watch. But the Celtics playing great. Bruins, they're playing great. And, of course, it's the NFL free agency period now. It finally started. We had Jack Abbott on the other day, and Jack, he's been pretty good. He said, Hightower, he comes back. Hightower is on the fence right now, which means it's a pretty good indication that he'll come on back as nobody has given him that godfather offer that he's been unable to refuse. And when it comes down to like a million to two million a year, a lot of NFL players, they tend to side with the Patriots because it's more fun to win. It really is. And you kind of make that up with the postseason share. So we'll see what Hightower decides to do. But Jack said Allen Branch is in. He also said, watch out for funny business with Malcolm Butler. And that's exactly what we're getting. His agent is going just every which way and making no sense. Whereas Butler had an interview with Josina Anderson. And he just said, look, I'm not the general manager. I can't tell you what's going on. He has to sign the um, restricted free agent tender. When he does, if the Patriots want to, they can trade him. Now, the reason, and I hope they don't, by the way, and the reason that they can trade him is because the Patriots got Stephon Gilmore. You have the best free agent quarterback coming to the Patriots. That's awesome. So now, if you do bring back Butler, and no one has given him a godfather offer that the Patriots have to decide to match, that's how restricted free agency works. In other words, it's not up to the player, it's up to the team. Another team says, hey, we're going to give you $15 million a year. The Patriots can say, okay, we're not going to pay Malcolm Butler $15 million a year, but because we put a first-round tender on him, if you do sign him, that is Malcolm Butler, to that $15 million a year contract, then we get your first-round pick. So that's a tough sell for most teams. And Malcolm Butler being an RFA, a restricted free agent, the <laughs> the Patriots can bring it back, put him right across from Stephon Gilmore. And then it's been only three years since we had Darrell Revis and Brandon Browner as the corners. Yeah, everything is good. Uh, Patriots have also signed Deron Harmon. That's fantastic. This defense is scary. So you have Branch, McClellan, Van Noy. They just got Coney Ely from the Panthers because the Panthers picked up Julius Peppers. That is really cool. I think that's awesome. Peppers is the all-time sack leader for the Carolina Panthers. But the Patriots, they get Coney Ely as Jerry Thornton of Boston Sports, uh, Barstool Sports, I should say, pointed out. Ely played more snaps in last year's Super Bowl, 23, than Chris Long did in this year's Super Bowl, 15. So with the Patriots losing, more, it uh, looks like Jabal Sheard will go to the Colts. So with the Patriots losing Jabal Sheard and Chris Long, also Barcavius Mingo, but special teams, the Patriots will pick up somebody in special teams, and it will all be good. The Patriots get Coney Ely, who is going to be like a sub-rusher, and we'll see what they do with defensive end. Connor Barwin is actually available as the Eagles released him. I don't know what it would take to get Barwin to New England, but for a guy that hasn't seen the playoffs in quite some time and a guy that is thought of as a wonderful player but also an even better human being in the society, um, 
like you go to Delaware where I was this past season, people love Barwin. Delaware is essentially a suburb of Philadelphia. They love Connor Barwin. So I hope the Patriots somehow pick up Connor Barwin. But then again, you never know what the Patriots are going to do in the draft. But the Patriots, they get Branch. It looks like they might get Hightower. If they don't get Butler, then it's going to be because they traded for Brandon Cooks, which is fine. I'll take Brandon Cooks, a wide receiver that has had Drew Brees throwing him the ball the last couple of years. And Cooks has all he's done is getting has gotten better every single year. So everything's good there. The Patriots are making splashes in free agency, which is something you almost never see. And it is, I mean, folks, it is fun. Uh, to me, I'm a fan. I am a fan of what the Patriots are doing in free agency. And to be honest, I, even if they did nothing, really nothing, except for brought back Allen Branch, I would have been happy. All of a sudden, you get Stephon Gilmore. Oh, whew, whew, I got to fan myself a little bit. Hey, Hightower has yet to lock on with another team. Mm. Oh, the clothes are coming off and might have to get some baby oil up in here. This is some good stuff. We are getting excited with Patriots free agency. Usually the worst time of the year as a Patriots fan. But this season, for some reason, this iteration of GM Bill Belichick, he has opened up the pocketbook. And it's because they had a ton of cap space. It's... And we haven't even discussed whether or not Garoppolo is going to get traded. My thought is, yeah, Garoppolo gets traded for what might end up being a first-round plus poo-poo platter. I think it's going to be the first-round pick this year. And then it will be either one more first-rounder or it's going to be two twos and a three. I think the Patriots are going to get at least three draft picks out of the trade with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think you're still looking at the Cleveland Browns with this year's number 12. I really do. I think that makes the most sense for the Browns to go Miles Jarrett, first pick, trade for Garoppolo, give up their 12 to the Patriots this season, add on a second next year and the third that they get for trading and acquiring Brock Osweiler, who they will then cut, although they did just cut, I saw, uh, Robert Griffin III, who is just not a good quarterback. So it's a good cut. It looks like the Browns might be up to something, and they've got a very good defense. So I say, okay, here, before we get into our review of Logan, my biggest thing, <sighs> prediction. Cleveland Browns next season with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback go 9-7. and seven. I don't know if they make the playoffs, but they go 9-7, and seven. at least they play 500. At least 8-8, eight and eight. but my prediction is the Browns have Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback, and they go 9-7, and seven. all right? So that's my prediction. Everything is good in Patriots land. Everything is real good in Celtics land, and everything is great in Bruins land. So with all of those out of the way, now it's time for our movie review. Okay, so I saw Logan today. I'm a nerd, if you haven't <laughs> figured this out by now. Nerd, geek, whatever, I will just say yes. You call me that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am absolutely one. So Logan comes out, and the way that you guys know that I like to rate movies, is it worth seeing? Is it not worth seeing? It is worth seeing at full price. So if you have to pay like 10 75 to go see it, or if you have one of those 
newfangled movie theaters where like they're going old school and turning it into like a fantastic experience where it's like 15 bucks to get a ticket with the reclining chairs and beer alcohol service. It's worth that. So it's a good movie. It is worth seeing. But the problem is the storyline is taken from the Old Man Logan storyline. And spoilers. So we're going to wait like three seconds. Okay. Spoilers abound over the next three minutes as I break down this movie. Okay. You get three seconds. Three, two, one. All right. If you're not gone, you're an idiot. But you also should have stayed. Yeah, I probably should have thought that. Don't want viewers to go away. But anyways, uh, the old man Logan storyline. In the comics, this dude named Mysterio puts an illusion in his head. That is Logan Wolverine. And he thinks that he is fighting off this vicious attack and goes all rage on everybody. But instead of these guys attacking Logan, who is, I buried the lead there. That's lead L-E-D-E, by the way, not E-A-D, for those of you that never took journalism classes. But I buried the lead. The attack is on the X-Mansion in Westchester, New York. So Mysterio puts this illusion into the head of Logan, who goes all rage on everybody, kills what he thinks is every single one of the attackers. The problem is is that it's not the attackers. He goes and he kills all of the mutants at the X-Mansion, okay? And then all these other horrible things end up happening and, like, there's no more mutants and whatnot. It's, it's a mutant dystopia in the future. Well, this movie takes place in 2029, and the storyline is pretty good. I like it. Professor X has some type of dementia, Alzheimer's, and you find out about two-thirds of the way through the movie that it is, instead of Logan killing off all the mutants, it is Professor Xavier that has done it. And Logan has actually done his best to keep him sedated because it may have been a seizure that did it. You never quite find out. But the problem is, is they kill Professor Xavier. It's like, that's just sad. Um, X-24, which is a cloned version of Logan, ends up killing uh, Professor Xavier. And you just, you're not as sad. They don't do a good job building up Professor Xavier. You get a little bit sad. The, the story's cool. It's worth it. The action scenes are awesome. It should absolutely be rated R. Some of the swears are just Stupid. I almost swore right there trying to explain it. But some of the swears don't make any sense whatsoever when they use them. It's like a teenager found out how to swear and so just drops uh, drops F-bombs every other word. Just, I'm cool, F-bomb, F-bomb. No, no, you can do better with the dialogue than that. But they kill off Professor X. All right, you're sad. Laura, or is it Lauren? Laura, who was X-23, a female version, clone version of Logan, She's awesome. The actress that plays her is wonderful. And there's a good camaraderie between Logan and Laura. But then they kill off Logan. And it's because the adamantium that he's made out of is slowly poisoning him. And I think has been for the last couple of movies, if I remember it correctly. But so the adamantium is killing him. But at the same time, there is this new serum that fixes everything. It just the, they kill him off, and it just doesn't hit as well as you think. You're sad because 
Laura is sad. You're not sad because Logan dies, and you're not happy either. They try to make it like a, a, a good, clean death because he saves all the little mutants that are trying to make their way up to Canada. I'm sure there's like some Trump thing there that I'm overlooking, or I just don't. I'm not overlooking. I don't care enough. I really don't. But it, you just the, the payoff for the deaths of Professor X and Logan, they're not good enough. So the movie is good. The movie is entertaining. The action sequences, my God, they're fun. But it just, it falls flat. So, like, it's a really good movie for about 85% of it. And, and the storyline, I, I like it. I like the storyline. I like everything about the, the X-23s and the clones. I get that. I like it. But when you're trying to kill off the two staples of the X-Men, and you do it in the same movie, I'm the type of guy, like, I don't cry at movies. I, I should have been really close to crying, and I I wasn't really. So they went for, like, three different tearjerker moments. I got close on one. But the two big ones, when Professor X dies and when Logan dies, it just doesn't hit as hard. And it's, I just wish it did, because it would have made me enjoy the movie and the ending better. And I just, they didn't do a good enough job. But with all that being said, it was an enjoyable movie. The timeline is like, I had to read it. I'll probably put one when I write an article about Steph Curry and his stupid trash talking. I'll put that. (laughs) I'll put a URL to understand the timeline better for Logan. But, oh, the the timeline now is all over the place with the X-Men movie. And it's so confusing. But it was still a good movie. And uh, if you like the X-Men movies, you should, you should go see it. Right now, though, you should go enjoy the rest of your day, night, whenever it is you're listening to it. Because that's what I am going to do as well. So thank you for tuning in to another edition of Bagoon's Barrage, the State of New England podcast. And hey, here in the state of New England, everything is good. And it's actually better than good. It is Tony the Tiger. Great. So, that'll do it for me, for now. Until next time, everybody, go New England. Where there's love, I tell you, girl.